Yearbook Sportscast. Also called How the Hell Should I Know? I'm your host, Doug. Charges by ex-University of Iowa football players that there is racism in the football program. Undoubtedly, Iowa won't be the last football program to see claims of racism, and they weren't even the first in this uh, recent stretch. Florida State and Clemson had news items about this just prior. The thing that makes Iowa unique in this case is that unlike almost any other, or maybe unlike any other big-time college football team you can name, Iowa football basically hasn't changed since Coach Kirk Ferentz took over in 1999. Now, what does that mean? That means that just about any other marquee college football team you could name, they've tried old offenses since 1999. They've tried new offenses. They've tried junk defenses. They've tried new defenses, old defenses. They've changed traditions, changed philosophies. They've changed outlooks over and over again since 1999. But this is a big-time generalization. But basically, since 1999, Iowa hasn't changed. Now, ironically keeping a college football staff together forever, it's often thought of, and during the regular season, it's often talked about as a huge key to success. But in this case, that's getting some of the early blame for important things not changing because the same people are in place year after year. Many of the former players who voiced concerns voiced them about longtime, now suspended pending an investigation football strength coach Chris Doyle. The complaints ranging from racism on Doyle's part to just being an out-of-control coach with sadistic strength regimens. There were also some complaints about Ferentz being a control freak. The conclusion here is we don't have one. We don't know for sure what went on, and we won't for a while if we ever do. We do know a few things. Before you tell the Iowa players who complained about Chris Doyle's workouts that political correctness killed their will to work, Doyle's been in trouble before. In early 2011, 13 Hawkeye football players wound up in the hospital after an off-season Doyle workout, all at the same time, after an off-season Doyle workout caused a muscle disorder. Somehow, Doyle did not lose his job then, and he wound up being the highest-paid football strength coach in the entire country. So Alabama's, Florida's, anybody can mention, they do not have higher-paid strength coaches than the strength coach at Iowa. Now, obviously, that does not mean he's racist, but his methods— had already been questioned, and players training with him were in danger. We don't know if Doyle's regiments changed, obviously. We also do know that a lot of former players complained, and they said roughly the same thing, which is tough to ignore. We also know that strength coaches tend to be very tight with the head coach. If you're not familiar, you hate football, you don't follow football, even though it doesn't look like it. College football coaches can't coach players year-round. There are periods in the offseason where it's illegal for coaches to have any contact with their players. But those same players are working out in the weight room year-round with the strength coach, who can report back to the head coach on what he sees and hears. We also know, just as a scene setter, don't overdo the thing about Iowa's surprising football factory success Ferris's tenure has been a glorious stretch for Iowa, maybe the best ever in school history, but the Hawkeyes have also had bouts with underachieving, sometimes long bouts with underachieving, and those off-seasons have led in the past to calls for Ferris's job. Now, here's where we get into what we don't quite know. Did these recent revelations contribute to that underachieving? 
Now to get away from wins and losses, a lot of credit should go to Kirk Ferentz for immediately saying all the right things. He took responsibility, saying essentially changing a program is a group effort. Uh, changing a program's problems. That is a group effort, but he said it has to begin with him. It begins with him. Doyle was suspended, and an advisory committee led by a big-time former Iowa player has been formed. But still, shouldn't Doyle's behavior have at least been some kind of an open secret? We don't know Ferentz and Doyle's relationship, but from the outside, it seems like such a longtime, highly paid assistant would fall into that same head coach, strength coach, confidant category. Did Ferentz know exactly what was going on? Or did he leave Doyle to his own devices and not know? Or did he not want to know? And this, in part, can be answered by investigative reporting, which is so, it's expensive, but it's so, so important. Iowa football, like all big college football teams, has a group of newspaper journalists covering it all the time and TV and radio journalists covering it all the time. Now, of course, there's a problem there, too, is is the media wants access. And if you tick off the football program, you're not going to get access. But for the people that cover the team, these are really good journalists. For the people who cover the team on a daily basis, would they have been able to see something? Now, obviously, no one is going to be there at the weight room when an African-American player enters and they're told something negative by a coach. No one is going to be present to see that. But is there behavior that was kind of an open secret that somebody in the media has seen over the years? Now, the type of behavior that's described, uh, black players being drug tested more often than white players, black players being stereotyped, uh, told what to wear on their own time, that's got to change. Now, we'll see how far that change goes. We may possibly eventually see what's true and what's not inside Iowa football and big ups to the players for raising the issues in the first place. Before you tell the Iowa players who complained that political correctness is making them come forward now, minor league baseball players live in poverty. But no active player is speaking up. That's how hard it is to be a whistleblower when that might lead to being benched or released slash kicked out out of school. Also expect to find out that Iowa is not the world's only college football program where racism or abuse might exist. Rest in peace, former MLB baseball player Claudio Washington. That's redundant. uh, Major League Baseball baseball player. Rest in peace, former MLB player Claudio Washington, who passed away this week. Claudio Washington fans remember that in the 80s movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, When the principal sort of half pays attention to a Cubs game on TV, that is a real telecast of a real Braves-Cubs game from 1985, and that just happens to be the Braves' real Claudel Washington batting during the movie. This is uh, The Yearbook Says in the Yearbook at Hotmail.com to contact us. Again, I'm your host, Doug. We always appreciate you listening. IndyCar debuted among the coronaviruses. And if you taped it to watch later, I apologize. Scott Dixon was dominant. That's part of the reason the race wasn't a classic, but it was exciting and pretty smooth considering everyone was out of practice until the day of the race. Driver Jack Harvey had never raced at Texas Motor Speedway. He'd never seen Texas Motor Speedway. He was completely unfamiliar with it. Now think about the learning curve that we give Major League outfielders learning a new baseball stadium. And improbably, out of practice and driving blind, Harvey didn't crash. And he finished 16th. Connor Daly improbably finished 6th. Zach Veach came off the bench cold and tied his career best 
fourth place finish by just settling in and driving in what should have been a really, really, really stressful race for everyone. Being the rare live American sport for IndyCar, that worked to an extent. Uh, The race drew nearly 1.3 million viewers on NBC, making it the highest rated IndyCar race that wasn't the Indy 500 in the last four years. If you're curious about who was curious, Columbus, Salt Lake City, and Denver, all non-traditional IndyCar markets, were among the top five places in the country where a lot of people watched. Unfortunately, as we kind of mentioned already, the Texas race did not shatter records, and it's unlikely the IndyCar series got a 1979 Daytona 500-type cultural boost. But would they really ever get a cultural boost like that? And for whatever reason... Rising ratings, ratings going up nowadays, that is always good news. Oklahoma State men's basketball has officially been busted by the NCAA, and they were punished just before our podcast debuted, wondering who is going to be punished. Great job. Us. Make sure to subscribe before you leave today. The OSU Cowboys were banned from next year's NCAA tournament for recruiting violations, which, considering other schools reportedly had even more violations, sounds bad for places like Kansas, Arizona, LSU, and others. But punishing Oklahoma State might also be as bad as it gets. While Oklahoma State basketball, they have a huge basketball tradition, a huge basketball arena, and a huge basketball fan base in big is never big enough Division One. OSU is considered a second-tier team. So, will the NCAA be as bold with the biggest names in the sport? We were talking recently, what was it, last week, about documentaries that should get made. How about a documentary short on where actor and comedian Tim Allen's IndyCar fandom got to? Remember Open Wheel Drivers? Then it was called the IRL. Remember when uh, IRL drivers used to show up on a highly rated primetime network show, Home Improvement? Tim Allen was the sport's biggest PR guy. And that sounds like a good lead-in. Tim Allen was the sport's biggest PR guy. What happened? NHL playoff preview, if it actually happens. In the play-in round, that's the first round, the Hurricanes would play the Rangers. So it's the Rangers' Mark Stahl against his brother, the Hurricanes' Jordan Stahl. When the season was recently frozen forever in carbonite, Jordan Stahl talked about leaving the Rangers the heck out of the playoffs. Now that the Rangers are in the playoffs, if it actually happens, and playing Carolina, Carolina's Jordan says, quote-unquote, karma. But the Rangers' mark is 3-0 and against Jordan this season. Is that also karma? Whose karma wins? The should-have-been-better bowl is going to pit the once-again presumptive Stanley Cup champion Nashville Predators in the play-in round against the Coyotes. The Predators are the three-time defending presumptive Stanley Cup champions. Thanks a lot, Coach Peter Laviolette. But they're in the bracket, so they could be actual Stanley Cup champions sometime this summer or fall. The Minnesota Wild, who I believe also have a stall brother in the playoffs. The Minnesota Wild would be in the NHL's version of the 7-10 game, a 7-10 series with the Wild, the 10 seed against the 7 seed Canucks. So the NHL's experiment with NBA-style super teams is still alive. Unlike in the NBA, where super teams win a lot and make the league uncompetitive for smaller markets, the Wilds, 2012 arranged signing of huge free agents Zach Parise and Ryan Suter hasn't come close to paying off. It's eight years later, and Parise and Suter are still there, so 
starting in the play in round. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> 